Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 214, recorded in River Road Studios in Eugene, Oregon. This show is made possible in part by the support of the Herbal Nerd Society. If you want to become an Herbal Nerd Society member, go to thepracticalherbalist.com, click on the Join the Herbal Nerd Society tab or the link in the upper left-hand corner, fill out the form, and you're all set. If you want to not join the Society, which will really be disappointing, true, but for whatever reason you aren't going to, you can also help us by giving a review, uh, sharing it with your friends. All those ways help us to organically grow the Urban Nerd Society's daily and weekly listen. Reviews help us by letting people know that we are worth their time and worth their space on their uh, phone. So like and share, please. <laughs> like and share. Now on with the show. If you've ever bought a seed packet marked pollinator friendly, you've started on the path to becoming a good neighbor to your local bees. That's just the first step, though. Today we're talking with Don Combs, author of Sweet Remedies, Healing Herbal Honeys, and other titles, herbal educator, and beekeeper about keeping bees and gardening for bees. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Welcome back, Dawn. I am so happy to see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see you. thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, you're you're in. When we see you, we see this little D on the spot on the computer screen. But oh, honey, we would honey. Oh. We would love to have you come in live, or us come over to visit you sometime to your wonderful farm out there. Could you tell the listeners that might not have had a chance to either read your books or your magazine articles? Or have heard the last podcast we have. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm Don Combs, and I I'm known for honey-based herbal formulas on the market. Uh, started a little farm called Mockingbird Meadows, and I wrote a few books. I'm an ethnobotanist, and I I, I raise bees and honey and and people, mm-hmm. <laughs> small people. My mother. Yeah, a mother with some really sweet remedies. Okay. Before we go further on this, for all you listeners that are playing the home game, uh, every time a silly pun gets said said about honey or bees, please take a shot. I can already see where this podcast is going. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Well, and if you want to keep up with us, my suggestion would be that you use Don's coffee infusion shot. That oh, one okay. would be a really good one, I what, think. Do you have a page number? Yes, I, I'm. I'm. Looking I'm. For it right now. I'm, I had it, and then I set it. Set the book down. Yes, I noticed. I should not I was, have set the book down when I was doing there the intro. Coffee. Coffee she kept reading, thinking I was going to mess up on the word beekeeper again and say bookkeeper. Uh-huh. And so she kept reading and then, oh, God, he got it right. And then and she panicked. <laughs> oh, man. The coffee infusion is recipes on page 129. And I think that one will help you uh, get a little pep in your step and, and keep up It'll with us. Give you a buzz. Yeah. It could be oh. a, a spoonful of oxymel or something like that. Wow, but, this is yeah. going to be one of those oxymel okay. is yes. going downhill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you're thinking about gardening on a hill, you can do a lot of good gardening on a hill for bees, That's right? Smooth. That's smooth. yeah. <laughs> nice Way to bring us back. Uh, well, it is. 
it is one figuring out how to best garden or there was one point okay I'm going to like reel it back in my life about 10 years ago. I had the idea that we could keep bees and Patrick was like, oh yeah, that would be really cool. But we live in the city and I didn't want, and I had a small child at the time and I didn't want to be, and there was all the whole thing about how everybody has to have EpiPens with them at all times because somebody could get stung by a bee and die. Mm -hmm. And it was like this huge thing. And, and I didn't, I didn't do the beekeeping, but now I'm at a point where I'm thinking, well, I don't know in my little suburban yard that it would be wise to keep bees myself, you know, partly proximity, proximity of neighbor, neighbors. And also, I don't know, we have farms, not that, or not. Yeah. yeah, we have mm-hmm. fr- farms that aren't that far away and all of that. So I, maybe I don't want to actually keep bees myself. But I know there's things I can do in my garden to help the bees. Mm -hmm. Because there are bees in your neighborhood, as you know. You've seen Mm -hmm. them running around. Honeybees or not, we have lots of native bees, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to start, like, picking your brain, Dawn, about what are some good ways to garden for the bees. Sure. Uh, Well, uh, in in the last podcast I mentioned this but I'm a, I'm a huge evangelist for the weeds so I will mention them again yes yeah, see Patrick your weeds it's okay Even that our lawn looks weedy and fine oops I missed you no Candace was saying see Patrick we can grow the weeds and then we can call it a pollinator garden mm-hmm. yeah. that's right for yeah, long-time right. listeners, if you want, you can listen to almost all of our podcasts and do the the uh, game that Patrick had, but just with the I told you so's that we have in this <laughs> podcast series. So every time you hear an I told you so, you can take a shot. <laughs> oh, that never happens in my house. I never say that. Oh, never. I right. smell liars. <laughs> never, never. Um, so we the weeds, uh, speaking of my husband, um, that's been a, a perpetual <laughs> problem between the two of us because my yes. husband is, he has a master's in landscape architecture. And oh. So he wanted everything to be, truth be told, he wanted a house in the city with a postage stamp lot that was perfectly landscaped and everything where it was supposed to be. And yeah. I talked him into a hobby farm and it's covered in weeds. Bless <laughs> your heart. Bless your heart. Not only is it covered in weeds, but if he mows the wrong weed, then I have a fit and okay. chew him out. All and right. he doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I will look in the yard that should not be touched. And he foolishly goes out and mows the yard and doesn't realize. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a balance, I think. Uh, you can find ways to use the weeds in special spaces. We have a prairie that we have agreed upon can be filled with weeds. Nice. Uh, you do have to be careful, though, because what what you're cultivating, as your soil heals, your weeds change. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. because you have some great bee-supportive herbs, or sorry, weeds out there, and you let the ground stay that way, doesn't mean that they'll be there next year. Right. Mother Nature right. is using those weeds to heal the soil. Mm-hmm. So, what would be a few uh, examples of some of the weeds, uh, be her be supportive weeds that you may find like at the beginning or in the middle of healing or right with that a well established. And again, listeners, this is for your area, which is Ohio. Yeah, Ohio, Ohio. Yeah. So you're choosing non-invasive plants that are threatening to other plants in the environment. 
So your results may vary in, in some plants results that are a problem vary. for your area are not a problem for ours. So this is just, this is for Dawn and her area. Uh, do your homework, folks. So go well, ahead. The first thing that shows up on disturbed ground are the red clovers. So trifolium pretens. Uh, it is kind of a myth. People think that that's the honeybee loves the red clover and they don't. They... Uh, they'll use it if they have to be. And I, I found several sleeping on red clover. So maybe it's a, oh, a bed for them. So but I, I, one time the sun came up and I found a bee sleeping on a red clover as I was picking. Oh, yeah. uh, she warmed up and got got back to temperature and flew back to her hive. But the bumblebee loves the red clover. And red clover comes with the first disturbing of the ground. It's fixing the nitrogen. And then once it gets, the nitrogen gets to a certain level in the soil, it, it stops germinating and doesn't survive there anymore. Um, trying to think, goldenrod is a big one. Mm-hmm. And if you can get a good stand of goldenrod, that's later down the road as your, as your soil is healing. It's been probably almost 10 years, I think, that our prairie has been healing. And we have a good stand of goldenrod now. Nice. Um, goldenrod is critical for late fall feeding. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's that's a point that I always want to make. Uh, if you want to garden for your bees, if you're raising bees, or if you want to garden for bees, that you aren't keeping just to be a good neighbor. You want to make sure that you are planting and or leaving in place enough things all the way from spring, all the way through fall that are going to produce pollen and nectar. Mm-hmm. Good point. So we make mistake often in our beautiful gardens that we're growing. We have a big stand in the middle of summer and we have all these, all these blooms and then it goes away. And then we just kind of focus on fall color in the leaves mm-hmm. and bees need to eat yeah. more than just in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. So you have to have really, really early spring bloomers and really, really late fall bloomers. And so the asters, which are weeds and the goldenrod, both are really important late season feeders for the bee just before she goes to sleep and hibernates for the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the ones that come to mind for the Pacific Northwest. Uh, those that are in this the area that we, the practical herbalist folks, are in, we have osoberry, which is a, a lovely shrub. It's a native shrub, and that's a very early plant. And uh, particularly people that have mason bees, for example. And then the late flowering one is snowberry. I uh, I don't harvest anything from oso or from snowberry. But those are just for pollinators. So there's look at look at the area that you're in, folks. Figure out what native plants uh, you have in that area that would be that would be good for your native um, pollinators or for your honeybees. But there's also non-natives like spearmint. Sure as heck is not native to That's this for area. Sure. Mm-hmm. I yeah. do know that in my yard the bees absolutely love the spearmint. Yes, I mean it's it's always mint. swarmed. Yes, yeah, just mints in general. Like, yeah, well, not swarmed, but it's always got swarmed. A ton. Wait, drink. Okay. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> and we do not re- recommend if you're drinking something alcoholic that you go driving or you're driving whilst listening to this podcast. I just have to throw that in. 
Yeah, that'd be yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. So you can, use, you can use herbal teas to, to, to play this game too. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And then have a bathroom nearby, please. Mm-hmm. So you, safety first. Fun is good. Safety first. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, When you're talking about weeds, I do like natives. Uh, that gets a, it gets to be a sticky subject though, because the, the European honeybee obviously is a non-native herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. you were just talking about spearmint not being a native. Yeah. I like to plant natives in the area for a lot of reasons, but partially because they don't they don't need to work as hard. They know how to survive in the climate. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're thinking about what you've got to do for the bees. We always reach points in the year where it's not raining or it's raining too much. And when it's not raining, the bees aren't eating. They're starving because we don't think about it. But the the flowers need it to rain to have the moisture to the excess moisture to shed as nectar. So when it's not raining, the plants are using all of the moisture that they have to just maintain to turgidity in their leaves. Yeah, and just to, to survive. Yeah. End up right. They have to have excess liquid to attract pollinators and procreate because procreation is extra energy. Mm-hmm. So if you're going through a dry patch, the plants aren't producing nectar. They don't just do that because they have flowers. And so you think about the bees that depend on that. Sometimes it can be really a really easy thing to do simply to water a patch of weeds or water your mm-hmm. flowers. And of course we have different parts of the community or different parts of the country that have to be really careful about their water source. But this is a good place where if you can capture rainwater and uh, make use of that, it's something that we can offer the bees and keep our gardens looking mm-hmm. nice at this Yep. And there's, there's like little water bowls uh, on our, on our website. I'll include a link here of just simple little bowls of water with, with marbles or, you know, other things so that there's a place for a a little bee to rest whilst drinking from the water. And you always have to keep that clean. Um, There's just as you would with the honey or honey, the hummingbird, the honeybird, (laughs) I think. Uh, maybe the hummingbird feeders, you always make sure that's very clean. So same thing with the, the bee bowls. Uh, well, yep. actually bee fountains. Oh, a bee fountain. Yes. Yes, that's what oh, I she's call got it in her. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a, a section in there on how to create something like that. And yeah. you mentioned the stones. Those are really important and you can do really pretty stones. You can do, River, rock, you could do one big rock and nothing else, but mm-hmm. just keeping in mind that they need a, a safe place to stand and lean into the water because bees don't swim well. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just you don't. know, mm-hmm. I could see look, going out of your way to create your bee fountain in an area that's close to some of those weedier flowers where that way each day as you go out and you fill your bee fountain, you can also easily, you know, overspray as it were and make sure everybody gets a little bit every day Mm -hmm. and that will in most cases at least here through the drought season that we have i've noticed that if you give your plants a small amount every single day like in that like that they seem to do quite well Mm -hmm. you know they'll get through 
And I've noticed the bees seem to love it, at least at at least from in my garden around the the spearmint, which I usually let half half or more of my spearmint patch flower when it's ready to. And then I hack back the other half so that it will come back up and it flowers later in the season Mm -hmm. and I get two harvests off of it. Oh, here for those bee bee bowls or bee fountains, as you have in your book, Sweet Remedies, um, here's something that is I've been working with the last couple of years is. I sometimes get ground dwelling yellow jackets and oh. I'll put a little bowl, like a little bee bowl right next to where their hive is and keep the hive or whatever their nest, keep it with water in it. And ha- I, my chickens are free roaming uh-huh. so that it's right near where the chickens can be. And the, the yellow jackets go in to drink from the, the water bowl and the chickens go over there and just, it's like, it's like them. delicious Popcorn That's for them, brilliant. spicy and I flavored. They also see them coming and going from the nest. And yep. dig it up. Yes, yeah. so they've got it's an attractant for them. And then I'm not having to poison anything or put up some nice. plastic trap or brilliant. whatever. And yeah. they can still. I don't. You know, who knows what the things are that yeah. that these yellow jackets offer. Yeah, but they don't need to do it from their yard. <clears throat> they don't need to, and they don't. We don't need to have quite. <clears throat> pardon me. Sorry. Quite so many. Yeah. No, so it, it no. kind of helps. We give them uh, something that that eats them a natural predator. Well, not natural. It's my chickens. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say chickens aren't exactly native either. But. No, I mean my chickens have like a swing and things like that. But the they're Oregon held. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but they're they're they help keep control of it. It's more sustainable use of the resources that we have. And less buying of chicken treats. Yes. Right, right. Right. Oh, no, no. My chickens don't believe that's ever true. So, yeah. <laughs> that's a mythology. Always, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. There's always room for chicken treats. That's right. Now we're talking. Now so we're there's, talking. there is a recipe that I've been looking at. And I haven't tried it yet, but I've been thinking about the possibilities this season of doing it. And it's the honey rose soda using Aronia mm. mel- melanocarpa. I hope mm-hmm. I didn't mispronounce that. And then uh, rugosa rosas. Oh, roses. yes. The rose hip or the f- petal? We we have over 250 rose bushes on the property here at Mockingbird Meadows. And so I use a lot of petals. And this soda is particularly made with the petals. I think you could, you could do a lot of great stuff with the hips, too, because the hips are going to have nice natural yeast on them. Um, and the aronia is in the rose family anyway. So, yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit about like, if I wanted to grow aronia, where do I find it? Is it the, is it in your area? Is it something that's common in the nurseries, garden centers and stuff or? Yeah, it is in the native, uh, plant nurseries. We have one called Sayota Gardens around here that I've worked with for years and they grow native plants, native shrubs and trees. And aronia is Really, a, it's a trash shrub in a lot of our country. It grows in in uh, hedgerows, and it's really scraggly and ugly, and it gets this blackberry on it. Ironically, it's also used often as a street shrub or a, a landscaping shrub, and those are improved varieties. Well, that makes your husband happy, huh? It does. We, there we go. We, we try and compromise wherever we can. Um, the aronia is a, there are farms that are springing up in the center of our country and we've got, I think 
Illinois, Nebraska, there are some, there are some Aronia farms. It is a super food. It mm -hmm. has incredibly high antioxidants. It's great in the urinary tract, circulatory system, uh, just off the charts. Good for you. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to champion this plant for years because it, it just blows goji berry and pomegranate and blueberry and everything else out of the water. Mm. It's totally worth looking into. Is it uh, a, is it one that requires a lot of water or no. only, only full a, sun or? It does like full sun. It mm. is, it's a weed. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a, it's not a shrinking violet. It is, it's pretty hardy. And uh, like I said, it's in the rose family and most things in the rose family are pretty tough. And they're bee friendly. I, I, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of writing on Aronia. So you can, you Google my name, you can find some stuff on it, nice. but I believe it's going to work fine in your part of the country too. The berries are not fabulously delicious. <laughs> off the bush. Mm -hmm. uh, The secret is to freeze them. First, mm, just like a hawthorn. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. You right. want it? You want those sugars mm -hmm. to modify, and um, they're really high in pectin, so they will set jelly. Mm -hmm. They're a great addition mm -hmm. to jelly. But here, I really wanted, I wanted to take those natural yeasts on the fruit surface mm -hmm. and couple the the rose petal to bring a natural soda to the fore because of course honey ferments so nicely. Right. Yeah. So it's some of those yes. plants that have that are berries that have that kind of yeast on it. Like you're talking about people might be familiar with blueberries or elderberries, how they have that same kind of thing. Even grapes can get yeah. the same kind of thing on the outside is that we're on the same page, right? Dawn. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You're working with those. Uh, instead of introducing like a champagne yeast culture or something like, right. and you can do that, you can control the culture, but um, by putting in a fruit that has that natural yeast on the outside, you don't need to go buy yeast. Mm -hmm. Yep. Nice. For sure. Yeah. I like that idea. I also, I'm, I'm very intrigued with the aronia. Is it a very tall shrub? Not really. I think if it, if it gets, going you're might maybe five or six feet okay but mostly it's it's kind of rangy it it doesn't grow in like a compact shape it it tends to get leggy uh leggy stems and kind of fall all over the place it sounds like me that's why I'm it does leggy and I fall all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and you're definitely a high antioxidant kind of lady. Oh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we got a good, let's get back on track. Yes. The compliments can come in later, but you've given us a, a pretty good selection. Are there some uh, plants for your garden that you want you want to make sure that we get on this list of folks that are putting together their bee garden that I we haven't have covered yet. a list uh linden so mm, the chilia species yeah. mm -hmm. are you know, one of those classic bee plants the mm -hmm. bees get drunk in the blossoms oh. you can make fermented naturally fermented beverages with the blossoms mm -hmm. good for the heart uh, everybody ends mm -hmm. Linden honey is super light and, mm. and pretty. Mm. Um, what else? Borage is a big oh, yeah. bee plant. 
they there are colors. They say that they don't see red. And I, I know I wrote this somewhere and I should know it, <laughs> but I don't remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think purple is a big, is a big deal. Yeah. In the blue and family. Especially blue things that kind of have runway strips. Mm-hmm. So like what Sage the- has. Sage yeah. flowers. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the variegated uh, violets, the white violets, and I think even the purple violets have runway strips mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. And those those sort of plants where you see it's kind of like a enter here, great food, all you can eat buffet. Mm-hmm. Those things like are that. great things to plant. Um, sage is one of the big bee friendly plants. Hawthorn is big. Mm-hmm. It, it's important to kind of blend not just the flowers, but also the trees and the shrubs. Yeah, you're actually making me feel a lot better about my haphazard gardening because a lot of these plants are in my garden. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> well, that's exactly why you have them, right? You yes. I'm yes. telling anybody. That's, 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 that's how it happened. Yeah. Well, and the more you put diversity into your garden as like, because I inherited a hyper landscaped yard, which I abhorred because I just looked at it mm-hmm. as a pesticide farm yep. that, oh, I have, a, I have, I have grass. It's a plant that I have to prune every single week. No, thank you. I have a life. So, yeah, it turned it more plants. I introduced and dug up some of these Una monoculture stuff. The happier things were, yeah. you know, and the more more I would have people that would just stop by and say, your your yard is amazing. And it was it, I mean, it it just looks like a garden department threw up in my front yep. yard. Yeah. You know, there's no grass. There's just. Yeah. Well, so nobody stopped by when it was just when it was just a yard like that was before. Go in ahead. In the sorry. yard department, it's important to mention white clover. Mm-hmm. White clover is critical for the bee. And that's is so, that the little clover that often grows in lawns? Yeah, they okay. used to include it, include it in lawn mixes. Yeah, it was yeah. part of it to help yeah, you know, stabilize know, the soil, but they don't do it as much anymore. We have lots of it in our yard, much to the sadness of our fellow <laughs> lawn holders around us. Oh yeah. yeah. Talk to your therapist. You, you do have to be careful with when you have white clover in the lawn walking barefoot if you have bees. Yeah. You, you don't want to smash anybody. And if you smash anybody, they will defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That's a really awful place to get stung. So you have to be aware of how you're using that. But um, that's really, to me, that's really the only reason to have a lawn is a place to put the the dandelions and the white clover mm-hmm. for my bees. Nice. Oh, good. That's a that's a good collection. Um, now, Candice, you mentioned that you wanted to also talk about garden plant. Uh, oh, wait, herbs to, to blend with honey. That's what I meant to yeah. say. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm working on this year, I, I started last year uh, passion flower from seed, and I'm overwintering it, and I have the idea that I'm going to actually put it in the garden, in part because I saw, there's a lot of reasons I like passion flower, but then I also saw a few of your uh, recipes include passion flower, mm-hmm. which got me thinking, mm-hmm. what are the other plants that would be really good to plant with intention to blend with your honey, you know, later in the season. That all depends on 
what method you are going to use to combine it with honey. So the first part of the book, I go through each different kind of honey blend. So you've got your Oxymel, you've got pills, you've got infused honeys, you've got the Eluxuaries, and uh, each, and I think there's a few others in there, uh, each one is going to specialize in pulling different phytochemicals out of the honey. So you can't just say, I'm going to grow, well, passion flower, and I'm going to make a successful infused mm -hmm. honey from that without kind of understanding what you're isolating. So if you want to isolate water-soluble compounds out of the passion flower, which coincidentally you can, mm -hmm. um, there are, then that's going to make a really good infused honey. Passion flower can go all the way across the board. I just have it, uh, I have it powdered into the eluxuaries because I want to use, I'm a big whole plant person. Yeah. Uh, when I say that, I don't mean the root, the leaf, the flower all together in a formula, but I mean using the entire plant part to make a a formula. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. With passion flower, I've always uh, collected it for medicinal use just as the buds are starting to appear. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know if that's just a cultural love, thing. or I love the buds. I mean, I love the flowers, but um, you're, yeah, definitely using the leaf. You're using it. That's pretty much when I harvest most anything that I'm using leaves from mm -hmm. is just as that, that bud has all of the, 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 the plants beginning to put all of its energy there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you get the flavonoids as well as uh -huh. the tannins, et cetera, from the yep. leaf. So you're using yep. bud and leaf together. It's kind of nice. Hawthorne is the same way. As far as I'm concerned, if you're collecting hawthorn flower and leaf, but the list I, goes on. Uh, yeah, I I love um, I love to grow the things that have flavor and um, high volatile oils for the infused honeys, uh, just because you can it just tastes so amazing. Mm -hmm. So any of the culinary herbs are great that way. Um, if you're going to grind it, it doesn't really matter. So the luxuaries, you can grow anything for your luxuaries. Yeah. They'll all go in there because you're going to, you're going to powder them. Mm -hmm. Um, infused honeys, you're looking at, let's see, you're going to be able to pull some of the vitamins and minerals. You're going to pull, pull, uh, flavonoids. Um, caffeine, so that's why that that uh, coffee infusion is so nice. You get the flavor as well as that caffeine. Mm -hmm. um, but you're not going to pull those heavier things. So it's a little more difficult to, let's say, tincture. None of us are growing myrrh in our garden, mm -hmm. but I don't know why that comes to mind. Wouldn't it be nice if we could? Right. Yeah. Echinacea is probably a good one. Mm. Echinacea has a little heavier compounds and you just aren't going to make, you may make a lovely infused honey with some compounds in there, but you're not going to make it targeted at your immune system. Mm -hmm. If you want to use it, you'd have to powder it and put it into an electuary or tincture it. Mm -hmm. 
for people. And then some mentioned, we talked a little bit about that, but some of the fruits, some of the fruits that have those really nice uh, yeasts on the outside skin are beautiful mm -hmm. to plant to ferment your honey. Mm -hmm. So I have juniper berry in the book. Mm. Juniper, that's a really important one here because that's where I put my very first hive. And the very first mockingbird nested above that hive in the juniper Aww. bush. Aww. And it was kind of like, a, that's how we got our name. How lovely. Mm -hmm. It was a statement we felt that we were going in the right direction. I think mm -hmm. so, yeah. That sounds like a very clear sign. Mm -hmm. I think, I guess the answer is, you can put just about anything in your garden to work with with your honey. Mm -hmm. You just, you have to study each one of those herbs to understand which phytochemicals you want to isolate mm -hmm. and how you want to use the plant. Mm -hmm. um, I can isolate, I can put uh, from, from the other side of the coin of worrying about what we don't want to isolate. I can put sassafras into honey mm -hmm. because it's going to isolate the water soluble compounds and not fix the things that would require an alcohol to lift. So I can make mm -hmm. a flavored honey with that sassafras that I don't have to worry about so much. Not that I am endorsing anybody that is a listener doing that, but I might do that for my own personal choice at home. Some of these, some of these uh, plants are not so tasty. Uh, what we have in front of us is Candace <laughs> has blended um, an electuary here, thanks to your inspiration from your book, uh, a milk thistle, passion flower, valerian, and licorice. Um, and she gave me my own little jar of it because mm -hmm. she's a good friend. And <laughs> I, I already had the privilege of taking a little taste of it. And it was, it was nice, I thought. So we have, you can hear the, the, the jars been opened and we're getting our spoons in there. Mm-hmm. And this, can, this one does not look like Nutella. No, it doesn't one, look like Nutella. The one I did in the previous show was one that was um, very similar to, it was the Aztec, I always forget how to say it, pronounce the second word. Aztec chalate. Thank you. It was very, it was delicious. And that was, I made that one for Patrick to take every morning, mm -hmm. which he enjoyed. And he's not enjoying <laughs> this not one. I'm not liking this one. <laughs> this new one. I, I liked it, but I can taste that valerian. And dirty socks. Yeah, you yeah. taste the valerian in it. And in this case, maybe um, using a valerian flower would be good because yeah. that's got <clears> a much <throat> softer taste to it that might blend well. But I can tell you, mix, milk thistle, in my mind, does not taste very good. It's very difficult really? to harvest to me, I but I'm a fragile flower. So I hate the taste of uh, and the smell of sapomeno. And I worked in uh, Herb Lab for a decade. So I also have the experience of dealing with pallets of these plants. Yeah. So the charm went went away, you know, several gallons and gallons ago. And when you're do working... You roast do you milk thistle and eat it like a trail mix? Me personally? Mm. No, yeah. thank you. That uh -uh. sounds like that could be really Those tasty. Those are tiny little seeds. That's the way I love it. I like to just, I, I lightly toast it like I would a sesame seed. Nice. And whenever I do a class, I pass it around that way and it's nutty and it's, it's delicious. Oh, so you're, and so you're making a transformation with the heat 
of some of the some of those bitter components will turn sweet because of the transformation of the heat like you do when you roast like a radish or something like that it turns from bitter to sweet yep okay gotcha science but this is the challenge of formulating in the luxury because um the honey is there to amplify the effect but it is also there to um to mellow Mm -hmm. everything together to help as a blend and when you formulate for effectiveness this is how i've come up with all of my formulas over the years i go for effectiveness first and then I go for flavor because if it doesn't taste good, mm-hmm. you're not going to get somebody loving to eat it mm-hmm. as often as they need it. Right. And some and of us herbalists will just we'll just eat whatever because whatever we know it's good for us. But yeah, yeah. Um, some of the aromatic herbs we can often find them in line with our formulation, mm-hmm. and so blending an aromatic herb into that what you guys just tasted might round out the valerian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you uh, put the licorice in there, didn't you? Yeah. Candace? Yeah. I put the licorice in there to hopefully provide a little balance to that flavor. Mm-hmm. Personally, I happen to love valerian. I love valerian root. It's it's delicious to me, mm-hmm. but yep. most people disagree. She needs help. Yeah. Most people disagree. <laughs> so. And you no, know, you don't have to be afraid to use a fruit as well. So mm-hmm. um the classic electuary that I learned from Rosemary was fruit and honey and herbs blended together. And it wasn't a shelf stable entity. The mm-hmm. ones that I've been doing all these years, I created shelf stable. And I did that because I was going to be at farmer's markets and I was going to be shipping it. And that's a little more difficult if you're putting in the fruit, but yeah. especially if you have a combination that's particularly difficult for the person you're formulating for, but you really want them to use that herb, it'd be a great time to introduce a fruit. Right. That's true. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And for people that are just learning, um, you know, I've had people come into our clinic that they're just learning about herbs and they're really apprehensive and they're very, the flavors are are difficult for them. But getting ginger into somebody that really, really needs it for inflammation, you can putting some of the ginger, I've done this thanks to you, uh, ginger and turmeric, combined that together and threw in a little touch of, of uh, I actually put in some cayenne. I know black, black pepper is the one that people like putting in there and put it into honey. And that person was using that for inflammation. And they, that the one I'm thinking of in particular, started using that and then said, isn't there some way I could, I could use those plants, but just have like Instead of a whole spoonful of honey, just something else like, oh, you mean like a tincture? Oh, what's that? So yeah. now yeah. they're using yeah. now they're using that, and that fits more into their lifestyle. So you just that's that's that compliance thing that we're talking yeah. about, figuring out how people are changing and what works for them. But it was a gateway drug for them. It's like training, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stepping stone. Yeah. A stepping stone is a much better term, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> My son is one of the, I mean, he's the reason why I developed the allergency formula. And mm-hmm. uh, for a long time, he was using that for his allergies. He was really happy with it. But Wait, wait he, what was he using? The allergency, which is, it's formulated for any kind of allergy, dust mold, food, dog, doesn't matter where you are in the country okay. or in the world. 
And this is a this is a blend that is again in Don Combs' book, book yeah. Sweet Remedies. Yep. yep. So he used that for a while for his allergies, but when he would he got a flare up a couple years ago, and he decided he just didn't like that texture anymore of the honey and the herbs. So that's when I switched to making herbal, making the sodas with the formulas. That's a really good cool. oh, sodas okay. all day long. That's what we're doing in our shop. It's, yeah. it's soda farm, but it's the same formula. It's just okay. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that, then we'll use something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people come in and try the honeys and they have success and maybe they were skeptical mm-hmm. or maybe they thought everything was going to be gross, mm-hmm. but they had success and they're much more likely to try a tincture that isn't good because they have a little more comfort level that it's, it's going to be the right thing for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's very, very helpful. And and that shows again, that transformation with, with people, just as the, the world around these bees are, are changing and from season to season, things change. People, human beings also have transformations in them. That's the whole point of the healing tradition is honoring that transformation and going from, you know, honey spread to a soda or back and forth, or just figuring out what works best for them because the whole point the whole focus is health and happiness and knowing their own body and their own needs if we can as healers if we can drill somebody into that we have one yeah because they'll carry that with us whether they ever see us again or not yes yeah yeah very true yeah well is there anything else you want to add to your list of herbs to blend with honey that we just just cannot be without Sage. Sage is a good one. I mentioned the aromatic herbs, but I guess it deserves some some special note. I love sage. Uh, it's really great for sore throats and for singers. And it has my sage infusions have traveled all over. Um, I'm trying to think time. Time's a classic. That's a that's a French tradition to have time, honey. Mm-hmm. Um, great for cold and flu season. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, those are those are delicious. And the um, I've had a tea that had thyme tea, uh, thyme flower tea in it that was really nice mm-hmm. as well. And I can't. I know there was something else in there, but my little middle aged mind is not thinking of that. But think you've mentioned a couple of things that you know. Don't be afraid to use the fruit. Don't be afraid to use the flower. Um, trying things out. That's, that's and I'd, how I'd also love medicine. to say chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Mm-hmm. used as an herb, chocolate. There we chocolate go. Should, don't be afraid to put chocolate in these either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm all over the chocolate ones. I don't <laughs> that, think that, that would have helped me. the one I just had. Oh, it might. <laughs> oh, little bit of I mean, you're powder. talking cocoa or straight cocoa up chocolate. Oh, so in an infusion, I have immersed High quality, good, dark chocolate. And I think it's, I'm pretty sure that recipe made it into this book. Mm. Uh, High quality, good chocolate immersed in honey along with some herb, uh, an herbal infusion is really beautiful because the honey will soften the chocolate and make it spreadable. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yes. You've got and chocolate. Is it the sire? Ecstasy or chocolate ecstasy? Yes. Yep. Infusion. 
awesome. Yes. And and then in the electuaries, I have powders, but yeah. but you don't. I think that's that's kind of a message that I like to hit on over and over again. Don't think of these just as medicine. They should be delicious creations. So mm-hmm, if you yeah. decide to to chop up some really good dark chocolate and mix it in mm-hmm. to a luxury that you created and you're getting that texture, go yeah, for it. That would be Absolutely. good. Yeah. Well, I could even like, see getting some cocoa nibs and doing that. That yes, would be oh, sure. so delicious. Yeah. I know I've made things uh, a hunt. I've been I put garlic in honey, and then used that in a yeah. sauce for cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's yeah. I've had some great contributors to this book, and there's one from uh, Kirsten and Christopher Shockey. They they did a fermented garlic honey Ooh. in here that's really out of this world. Goodness. Yeah, that one looked really good too when I read it. I'm like, huh, maybe I will have to start fermenting again. <laughs> I I used to do a lot of um meads and wines. And I have to admit, I at one point, you know, the the mead books, everybody always says you have to pasteurize your honey water infusion mm. before you continue on. And at one point I decided it just seemed really stupid to do that. Mm-hmm. So I quit and I found that the meads were much more I liked them. I thought they were a lot better. They were richer and livelier. Yeah, yeah livelier. Mm-hmm. And even though they had the same alcohol content as the ones that were pasteurized, the just started from raw cold honey ones had less of a impact on my liver, shall we say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, okay. The effect well, it's was important better. To understand that that pasteurization process in making meat or any other ferment isn't about safety it's about control yeah mm-hmm. and it's about whether you want a concise control or a an understandable outcome of your ferment that that maybe you could duplicate over and over again right, right. like if you're in a commercial setting you need to have that or yeah. laboratory yeah. or you're right. working with someone who's extremely sick and their immune system is is compromised then that would be great for that but for the feral folk out there that are of good health and they're just doing it for snorts and giggles well, I, as a low, as an herbalist, I I look at it and say, well, the bees, the lo- the honey I'm using is local. The mm-hmm. bees have formulated for this environment. Why am I thinking I'm so intelligent? I want to tinker with it. I'm not so worried about. I want good. I want the end product to taste really good, but mm-hmm. I also want my maximum medicine possible. So. My meads are not the types that you can replicate year to year, even mm-hmm. if you follow the same recipe, because the honey will change year to year. Right. Just like That's herbal part of the herbs fun. do. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't make a lot of sense to avoid putting the nitrates or nitrites, whichever it is, I yeah. forget, in your, or sulfites. Sulfites. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of us avoid putting that into a finished meat or, or wine because we don't want that contamination. But if you started with pasteurized honey, you already have a, a damaged product. Exactly. You potentially are creating alma in your system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And alcohol itself also, you know, taxes yep. the system. Why do you want to double tax? I'm all against a double taxing. Single tax, okay, I'll have so, the alcohol. So That's good. You, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Taxation without representation. Yes. Well, I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to be the downer here in this conversation, but uh, it's time for us to 
to wrap up this podcast and and thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for for coming back and 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 uh, sharing your wisdom and insights and humor into this show yes so uh i i know uh, we're going to be just buzzing around Oh, with all the information, man. well, they haven't been able to do for a while. Yeah, hey, I was planning exactly. to make a beeline for the nursery oh. get some new seeds. There we so. go. Yes, <laughs> yep. that's right. Yep. Oh, I have a couple more in my head, but I will. I will show mercy to our listeners. Um, and uh, don't forget, folks, to check the show notes. Um, please, we do have in the show notes. I'll have some of the page numbers listed for some of the things that y'all have mentioned on the on the podcast here and your recipes but for goodness sakes just get the book and take a look at it you're going to have a good time with it it's so enjoyable and please um if you're interested in this topic which i after this you'd be a fool not to be then go ahead and check out her mag, um Don Combs magazine articles and your website and could you tell us about your website and then yep. other ways to contact you Yep, you can get as there well at mockingbirdmeadows.com mm-hmm. or you can get there at sodafarmcafe.com and that's with a PH instead of an F on the farm. Mm-hmm. And we're on social media and all that good stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so very much, Don. Yes. Thanks and for having me. It was it was a lot of fun. It yeah. was. Yeah. And as always, put an herb on it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA. They're not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.